Best sermon ever. We're going round two this month with our best sermon ever series. We're talking about the, the lessons that Jesus taught uh, concerning uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And today, um, before I actually get started, um, I kind of want to preface that uh, we know God is speaking to us because when Pastor Dan uh, gave us the assignments for um, last month and this month. Uh, it just so happened that what I'm speaking about tonight uh, was, uh, was, was, was scheduled for tonight. It might have been me, it might have been a different speaker, but it was scheduled for tonight. Uh, and it has to deal with what Pastor Richard was speaking about these past couple of Sundays. So I really believe that the timing of God is always the perfect timing of God and that God is speaking to our hearts uh, in terms of the challenges that he's bringing to you and I and the rewards and the blessings that come into our lives when we heed that challenge and we're obedient to what the Spirit of God is, is speaking to our hearts. I want to open with this story. Years ago, when Pastor Reggie and Sister Chris Bowie got sent out into the city of Compton, they were looking for a building, and they found a building. It was uh, Rosecrans of Matheson's. I still remember where it was at. It was a small little church, uh, and they were uh, excited to have this building, to have their church services there. And he called me up one night, and he says, hey, you doing anything? I need some help. Uh, we got this building, but it's, it's a little bit of a mess. We need some help cleaning it up. And so I um, called this young man. He was a young teenager. I was, I was in my, geez, early 20s at the time. And uh, so it was a young man. He used to uh, come to the school. He used to come to the church. His name was Zach. Zach, if you're watching, we love you. We miss you. And so it was myself, Zach, and Pastor Reggie. We were there in this new building there in the city of Compton, and we were throwing out trash. We were cleaning up the church. We were trying to get it ready. And the pastor, who was also the owner of that building, he happened to be there. And he was giving things away. He was giving books. And a lot of stuff was going to the trash. And he came across this little bust, this little figurine of Jesus. And I think he had a hard time throwing Jesus away because he had asked Pastor Reggie if he wanted it. And Pastor Reggie said, no, thank you. He asked me, and I said, no, thank you. He asked Zach. None of us wanted that little figurine of Jesus. And he must have asked us like five times, I kid you not. And, and so finally, um, Zach got a pile of trash, and he went to the trash can. And I, and I really believe that the pastor wanted one of us to keep that. Like, who throws away Jesus, right? A few moments later, Zach comes back, and he says, hey, there's money inside of Jesus. And Pastor Reggie goes, well, we'll give it to the pastor, right? And I thought, man, I should have taken that. <laughs> so he opens it up, and there's $800 in that, in that envelope, right? Turns out that, gosh, somebody put it in that statue years ago and forgot about it. And it had been sitting in, in, in this storage just collecting dust for a good amount of years. And, and it was on its way to the trash, and this young man, this young teenager, he saw that, and he kept it, and he brought it back, and he gave it back to the pastor. And I thought about that. I said, man, I was extremely proud of him because he easily, he easily could have kept it. He easily could have just put it right there in his pocket, and none of us would have known, and he could have enriched himself. But what he did was he was honest about it, uh, but the treasure that he found in Jesus... He couldn't keep to himself. He had to come and he, and, he, and, he, and he gave it back. He had to share it. Pastor Reggie was telling me that 
few years later, they had already been established. They were there in the city of Compton, and, and that pastor remembered what happened that evening. And he called Pastor Reggie up, and he says, hey, Pastor Reggie, he goes, you remember we found that money uh, in, in the little statue of Jesus? And he says, yeah. He goes, yeah. He goes, you know, this month's rent, put it in your offering basket. What a blessing that, that, that years later, he was able to reap of one individual's decision to share his treasure to release what he had found, knowing that he couldn't keep it to himself. The book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 19 to 20, 21, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The name of this message tonight is, what do you treasure? What do you treasure? It's a question that we can ask ourselves that. We, as we're studying the Sermon on the Mount, we're realizing that Jesus had a lot to say about a lot of subjects and a lot of issues. He spoke about prayer. He spoke about faith. He spoke about the love of the Father and the forgiveness of our sins. He, spoke, he speaks about the authority that we have as believers in the kingdom of heaven. He talks about the miracles that we would be able to experience uh, as we follow him, as we continue to live for him, and as we serve him. He talks about the relationships that we have and forgiving one another and learning how to love the way God loves. The word of God, is, is, the Bible says, is alive. There's power in the word of God. It speaks on every aspect of our lives. No matter what it is that we might be going through, no matter what it is that we might need, uh, the word of God speaks to that subject. As we study and as we read, if we're needing encouragement, the word of God encourages us. If we need hope, the word of God gives us hope. It builds us. It strengthens us. If, if we need guidance or direction, uh, there's wisdom contained in the word of God. It speaks to our hearts. It, it, it gives us what we need and when we need it. And, and we can read something and, and kind of gloss over it. Uh, and then maybe we go through something and we read it, and all of a sudden that becomes alive. That scripture is now just speaking directly to our core, to our hearts. The Bible, it speaks about money, speaks about wealth. I was surprised to find out that there are over 2,000 verses concerning uh, money or wealth or riches in, in one form or the other. Of the 39 um, parables that Jesus taught, 11 of those parables are related to money or possessions or what we would call riches, what we call treasures. Sometimes when you bring up the subject of money, though, it, um, it gets tense. I can kind of feel the tension right now, right? Because... Money hits close to home. We work hard for our money. Remember, there was a song about that. She worked hard for the money. You better treat her right. Right? We know what it means to, to earn. We know what it means to labor, to work hard for the, for the paychecks that we earn. And, and, and sometimes when it comes to the topic of money, it can, it can divide friendships. It can divide relationships. It, it can split Jesus, or one commentator said that Jesus 
spoke on money as a tool to reveal our priorities. You've heard that old catchphrase, right? Follow the money. And what's it saying? That if you follow the money, you'll get to the truth, right? You'll see what's going on, where the corruption lies. Uh, I, I know Pastor Sergio, he would often say that uh, your checkbook will reveal to you what your priorities are. Are your priorities the kingdom of God? Are your priorities the things of God? Is your priority, you know, right or is it off? Is it, is it on other things? What you spend your money, what you spend your resources and your time will reveal just exactly what your priorities are. Again, we got to ask ourselves, what, what do we treasure? What is it that we value? Because what we value, we will spend time and money on. I was reading, and it says that after housing, or when it comes to a person's paycheck, what usually the average American has to spend out of a, out of a paycheck, and they're saying that after housing, transportation, food, and health care, the majority of Americans, they spend their checks on entertainment. And entertainment being anything that gives you pleasure, it could be going out to eat, it could go into an amusement park, it could be a hobby, whatever entertains you, whatever you derive any kind of pleasure from. There's an organization, believe it or not, and it's called the International Coffee Organization. And they said that Americans, on average, spend $1,100 on coffee every year. Whether it's the coffee they buy or the fancy coffees they buy at the coffee shops, $1,100 a year. Compare that to $737 that the average American, I'm not talking about uh, religious Americans or, or, or people that are, are faithfully giving tithes and offerings, but the average American, they spend $737 on charities whether it's a hospital or you see on the commercials the, the dogs that have been abandoned and they're tugging on your heartstrings. If you give $2, you could save this dog, right? These type of charities. And look at that contrast, $737 as opposed to 100 or excuse me, $1,100. Uh, it's a big difference. That kind of reveals what our priorities are as a nation. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, your heart will be there as well. In this verse, Jesus, he's linking our hearts uh, to our treasure, what we find valuable, what we find uh, close to us. Someone said, you will joyfully pursue what you greatly value. So the first place I want to start tonight is with our hearts. Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. The heart, central to life. Put your, put your hand over your heart. Can you feel it beating? Mine is thumping, believe it or not, right now. With every beat, you can take it down, but with every beat of that heart, man, you're, what your heart is doing, it's just functioning as a, as a pump, and it's pumping blood throughout your body, that, that blood that carries the oxygen that every single member and every single organ uh, needs to survive. Our brains need the oxygen, our lungs, obviously, right? Our heart, our, our, 
muscles. We all need that oxygen, and that heart is beating and pumping that, that oxygen-rich blood. They say that if a person's heart begins to beat irregularly, like too fast, or it stops, uh, that person will fall into uh, cardiac arrest. They can pass out, become unresponsive. If you've ever taken CPR lessons, you, you know one of the first things you do is you check for a pulse. Is the heart beating? And if the heart's not beating, uh, then you've got to begin those, those, uh, the, the chest compressions, right? 1-1,000, 2-1,000, Because you're pumping that blood to keep that oxygen flowing to save that life. They say you have about five to eight minutes before death or permanent damage can occur. The heart is also the center of our being. The heart, mind, and soul is what make up a person, right? Our thoughts, uh, our emotions, and our actions, they all begin within the heart. The heart is the seat of our moral personality. It's where the decisions of right and wrong, good and evil, are made. It's in our hearts where we wrestle with fear, and, and, and that's why Jesus says, let your heart be of good courage. Courage is found in the heart. It's in the heart where we have an encounter with God. When I got saved, I didn't tell people God came into... God came into my mind. Jesus came into my mind. I said, Jesus came into my heart. Jesus lives on the inside. He's, he's in me. And he came into, into my life, uh, and he came into that inner, inner being, that innermost part of my life where all the secrets were. And he said, let's clean some house. Jesus, when we accept him, he comes into our hearts, uh, takes residence there. Our bodies, our lives are now temple of the Holy Spirit. That's good news. It's good news because Jesus takes care of what belongs to him. And if you're in this place and, and someone has maybe asked you, have you ever received Jesus in your heart and you're a little bit regard, just reserved and guarded? Don't be. You let Jesus into your heart. He's going to take care of you and he's going to love you. We often have heard, maybe we might have even said, well, God knows my heart, right? A lot of times we say that because we're trying to justify a shortcoming. We're saying, well, God understands. God understands why I do the things that I do or I say the things that I say. And yeah, I know it's not right, but God knows my heart. And it's true, God does know our hearts. And that's why he's always trying to reveal what's in our hearts and that's why he's always trying to show us through the word of God uh, the things that are wrestling in our hearts the issues of life that are springing out uh, he's saying it's starting in the heart we we know the scripture in Jeremiah 17 uh, uh, 9 and 10 that the heart is what deceitful above all things yikes nobody likes to hear that desperately wicked but in verse 10 he says I the Lord search the heart I test the mind even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. And that's why the Bible admonishes us and teaches us to guard our hearts, right? That's why we put on the breastplate of righteousness as part of the armor of God, to guard our hearts. That's why we don't allow that root of bitterness to, to, to take, uh, take root within our hearts. That's why God, when he, when, when he says, you could be angry, but don't sin in that anger. Don't harbor hatred in your heart uh, because all of a sudden 
evil thoughts and actions will come out of that. It's in the heart that things begin. It's in the heart where we learn to become generous or tight. John MacArthur said, Jesus is not saying that, we put our, that if we put our treasure in the right place, our heart will be in the right place. But the location of our treasure, where our treasure is, indicates where our heart already is. Book of Psalms, chapter 51, verse 11 uh, through 12, David understood this. And that's why after he sinned, he pleaded with God, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. He said, but restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. What David understood was that if he was going to experience joy, if he was going to experience the joy of his salvation, then his heart needed to be right with God. His heart needed to be in tune with God. His heart had to be cleansed from the sin and the, and, and, and the wrong that he did. It wasn't David's kingdom. It wasn't his wealth. It wasn't the many victories and the battles that he had won uh, that brought him joy. None of that meant anything to David. What meant to him, what meant everything to David was his relationship with God, his relationship with the Almighty. That's what gave him joy. That's what gave him strength. Uh, that's what the Bible says that he was a man after God's own heart, right? Because he understand that if his heart was clean and if his heart was right with God, then he could give. He could release, and he had no problem with that. We heard last uh, Sunday when Pastor Richard was talking about how, how David um, was collecting the funds so that his son Solomon could build the house or the temple of God. And in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 through 4, it says, Now it came to pass when the king, speaking about David, was dwelling in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around, that the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. It's outside in a tent. David is saying, uh, man, God has given me rest from all my enemies. The battles uh, have been won. Victory is mine, and I'm in this house, and it's made out of cedar. And if you ever smelt cedar, usually you use it to line a closet or maybe a shelf, but cedar smells wonderful, and it preserves. And David is saying, Nathan, is this right, that my house is made out of cedar, the best of the best belongs to me. Uh, I'm, I have no more enemies. Uh, I have victory. I'm no longer struggling uh, with this or that. Uh, the joy of the Lord is in my heart. Uh, I am blessed, uh, but the presence of God is in a tent. And he's saying, is this right? This doesn't seem right to me. David is, con he's, he's looking at this. He's saying, this doesn't seem, this is not settling right in my heart that I'm blessed and yet the presence of God is outside under a tent. In verse 3, Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. If you go on to read the rest of that chapter, uh, God begins to, to speak. And it's not like God is taken by surprise, because you can't surprise God. But in a sense, you, you feel like God is taken by surprise that David would want to build him a house. God never asked 
He never demanded. He never said, build me this. Uh, but David, within his heart, he said, I'm blessed. I want the presence of God to be somewhere where it can be, where it is a, be blessed, I guess. He wanted to build God a home. He wanted to build God a house. And God basically said, you know what, David, I'm going to do? I'm going to bless your house. Not his physical house, but his home. And he says, I'm going to make a dynasty out of you. And from your house, uh, there's going to be a king that's going to rule forever and ever and ever. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the descendant of David. To the, to the reign of Jesus, there is no end. He's going to reign for eternity. And think about that because it was in David's heart. His treasure was God. His treasure was the presence of God. His treasure was to do something for God. God said, out of your lineage comes the Messiah. Catch that. Because David was willing to give, to sacrifice, to give unto God, to build something for God, God preserved his family. God preserved his lineage. And that's what God is going to do in each and every one of our lives. We're blessed. We're blessed in this place. Our children are blessed. And now even our grandchildren are blessed. Because somebody gave. Because somebody invested. Because years ago, someone said, I believe in this ministry, and I'm going to give. And we're, we see the fruit of what, that someone else uh, uh, planted. That's awesome, man. The greatest treasure that we can lay up for ourselves is in the kingdom of God. We love what we love. We treasure, right? We hold it in high value. We esteem it. What we love, we're also willing to sacrifice for, right? We're willing to give time and money and talents to that which we love, right? For some of us, we know what we love. It's sitting in the garage, right? No heating in this car. No breathing on this paint, right? You know, we love our homes. You know, I love my house. I'm blessed. I love it because I know God gave it to us. Because for years and years and years, my wife and I tried to buy a house, and, and we were just denied, denied, denied. Door after door after door was closed on us. And all of a sudden, the least likely of houses opened up. And you know what? We just know to this day it's God because it's more than a house. It's a home. And we take care of what God has given us. But I know this, that in my house, the house of God comes first. And I know we're blessed because of that. And I know we've reaped the blessings over the years because uh, we've put God and the things of God first and foremost in our lives, in our home, and in our marriage. What we love, we pursue. And what we love will affect us. Someone said this. He said, you can't change merely by changing your thinking or through great acts, but rather by changing what you love most, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so Jesus, he wants to teach us about the value of true treasure. Last, um, last Sunday, I got home from church and uh, The Goonies was on. Remember that movie? Hey, you guys, old 80s movies. And I was, I was watching, I was watching it with, with, with my wife there. And if you don't know what the movie is about, it's, it's basically this, these group of misfit kids 
They live in this port town. They call it the Goondocks, right? That's why they're called the Goonies. And um, their homes, their community is uh, it's going to be leveled. Uh, rich developers are going to basically wipe out this whole community and put a golf course there. And uh, the, the young ring, ringleader there, he had heard these stories about uh, pirate's treasure. And it just so happens they find the pirate's uh, uh, treasure map in his attic. And he's saying, this is our one chance. This is our last chance to, to, to find a treasure and to save our homes. And so, you know the story. They basically go on an adventure. They got this mafia family following them. And, and they end up um, finding the treasure. And I was thinking about that movie because it kind of related to what I was talking about. Because these kids, they were in search of treasure not to get rich, uh, not to become super wealthy and then, and then leave. But they wanted to save their homes. They wanted to save their community. To them, the treasure of their community, the treasure of their friendships, of the relationships, uh, of, of being there, a tight-knit little group, uh, that was worth more than all the pirates' treasure that they could find. And church, we've been blessed with the treasure. We've been blessed uh, with a home, a church home. A lot of us, when we came in, we came in raw. We came in hurting. We came in searching and seeking an answer. And you know what? Those doors were open. And there was a seat available for us. And we were able to come in. We were able to hear the good news of Jesus Christ and how he can change a life. And we were able to receive at this altar our wonderful Lord and Savior. It was in this church as these doors have been opened uh, that we've been ministered to, we've been discipled, we've been built up, strengthened and encouraged. Uh, and no matter what we might have struggled with, no matter what shortcomings or what sins or what falls we might have taken place within our lives, uh, there's been people here, there's been pastor, pastors here that have loved us uh, and helped us get back on solid footing because this is a treasure here. This is a sanctuary here. This is a light house uh, here. People drive by every single day. I'm in this church because I drove by one day and God made a red light happen. And I said, you know what? Let me check it out this Sunday. We're a blessed church, church. And there's always something going on here. There's, I was thinking about... Uh, I didn't even want to start naming everything because there's too many things to name, but I think this church literally is open six, seven days out of the week. I think maybe one night, you know, Monday, maybe Monday night. I don't know if there's something going on here, but there's always something taking place here. The doors are always open. Even if it's just to pray, Thursday nights, the doors are open. And we should be taking advantage of that. Book of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and he hid. And for joy uh, over it, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys that field. Verse 45, it says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, uh, who when he had found one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. We see these two parables, and at face value, what we see are these two individuals, the man in the field and the, and the merchant, that they find this treasure. And to them, the treasure that they find uh, is worth everything that they have, everything that they have. 
And so they go and they sell it so that they could acquire this treasure. And when it comes to the things of God, I think we've, we've found a treasure in, in Christ. We, we found something that is greater than riches, uh, something that is greater than wealth, uh, something that is greater than anything you can imagine, and that is to be able to say, uh, I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. My sins are forgiven. When I leave this world, I'm going to be with him in heaven. What an awesome treasure that we have found in him. Someone said that um, to receive it, it's free, but it will cost us everything. And that's the truth. And that's the truth when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. When I got saved, uh, I lost friends, I lost family, I lost jobs. And you know what? Praise God, man. Because my relationship with Jesus was way more valuable than any of those things that I had just mentioned. And over the years, uh, as I've serve Jesus. He's given me friends that are like brothers and sisters. He's given me a spiritual family. Family members have gotten saved. And you know what? God has always met every single one of our financial needs. Every single one of our financial needs. I was listening to this testimony and this um, this guy that was giving the testimony, he, he's, um, he's, a, he's an immigrant from Russia, and, he, and he's a pastor now, and he was saying that his great-grandfather in Russia, he was a preacher. He would go around, and he would, he would minister. He would preach, and the Russian government, the communist government came to him, and they said, you are not allowed to speak the name of Jesus. If you preach Jesus, we're going to arrest you, and if we arrest you, who's going to provide for your family, who's going to provide for your wife, who's going to provide for your, 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 your children, you are prohibited from speaking Jesus. He knew that if he continued to preach Jesus, it would cost him everything. And so he continued to preach Jesus. And as he preached Jesus, they arrested him and they put him in prison for 10 years, hard labor. And he was testifying, the, the individual who was speaking, he was saying that it was his grandmother, right, um, the family, not once did they go hungry, that God provided for them. Those 10 years, God met every single one of their needs. In fact, that they had enough food that they would take it into the prison every Sunday to visit their father there, and he would take the food that was given to them, and he would turn around, and he would share that with the prisoners as he ministered to them. And the result was this individual's great-grandfather was saved. His children were saved. And now his grandchildren were saved, and his great-grandchildren are saved. There was a legacy there because he was willing to give it all for the treasure that he had found in Christ. Treasures come and they go. Ask Mike Tyson. We heard his stories, right? In his prime, he was making up to $30 million a fight. $30 million a fight. And in 2003, he declared bankruptcy. $400 million squandered. You think about the pharaohs in Egypt, right? And you look at those National Geographic stories, how when they were buried in their tombs with all their riches and their gold and their jewelry and all sorts of wealth, thinking that they could take it with them into their next life, and they didn't. 
when the tomb raiders opened up those, uh, those, those tombs, there it was waiting for them, collecting dust. Now it's in museums. We cannot take anything with us, church. We cannot take anything with us uh, except for the love of the ones that we've encouraged and strengthened and ministered to. They asked this young boy, they said, when you die, are you able to take anything with you? And he says, all I will take is a loving heart. Right out of the mouth of babes. Amen. I know this, this church is, is um, uh, mission-minded. I know that this church uh, is, is, is an evangelistic church. We, we reach out into the communities. We, we invest uh, into ministries. Why? So that we can see souls get saved. So that we can see lives be touched. You know, we as a church... Praise God, we may never be able to go to any one of these uh, mission trips or mission fields. We may never go into the churches that we sponsor. We may never even get to know the individuals uh, that we're making an impact in their lives through our giving, through our, through our releasing. But I, I, I got to believe that when we leave this earth and in the presence of God, uh, God's going to be able to show us the fruit of our giving that we were able to reach these individuals, and we were able to reach these individuals in these communities. Uh, maybe we'll never get to know them this side of heaven, uh, but in, in, in Christ, uh, in Jesus, the treasure that we have in heaven, uh, we're going to see the fruit of all that we've sacrificed for, of all our time, of our labor, of all our resources that we've released into the kingdom of God. That's why the Bible keeps telling us, keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on what is eternal. Don't just focus on the temporal. Yes, we have bills, and yes, we're going to have financial needs, and yes, there's always going to be a need, but if we continue to seek first, if we continue to be faithful to what God has called us to do, and that is be a, be a generous body of believers, God's going to meet every single need. He tried to teach this to the rich young ruler as I wind this down. In Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 22, he says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up and up to him and he fell on his knees before him and said good teacher he asked what must i do to inherit eternal life why do you call me good jesus answered no one is good except god alone you know the commandments you shall not murder you shall not commit adultery you shall not steal you shall not uh, give false testimony you shall not defraud honor your father and your mother and he said teacher all these things i have kept since i was a boy Verse 21 says, Jesus, he looked at him and he loved him. He says, but one thing you lack, go sell everything that you have and give to the poor. And then he says this, and you will have treasure in heaven. He says, then come and follow me. He says, at this, the man's face fell because he went away sad because he had great wealth. And God only knows the destiny that he had in mind for this young man. God only knows what he wanted to do in this young man's life. Because as much money as he had and as self-righteous as he was, there was still something lacking. We can have our worship team come up. There was still something missing in his life. There was still something that was leaving him empty. And Jesus says, I'm going to get to the root of it right now. You know what it is? It's your earthly treasure. 
Separate your heart from that earthly treasure. Separate your heart because it's keeping you from experiencing the fullness of God's love, of God's joy, of God's salvation. And this rich young man, he couldn't do it. His heart was attached to his treasure. And here he was standing before Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus loved him. He could feel that love. But his heart was still drawn towards that earthly treasure. And he couldn't. He couldn't let it go, even when the Son of God was, was right there in his face, saying, come and follow me. You'll have treasure in heaven. You'll be blessed beyond you can imagine. He couldn't get past what was temporal, and he couldn't focus on the eternal. And church, when we were given the challenge, it's, we gotta, I hope we, we grasp and we continue to grasp that it's much more than just pitching in to, to um, redo a roof. It was a challenge to say, where is my heart? What do I treasure? What is it that I'm holding on to that I'm afraid to let go of that God can't replace? God's going to meet the need. God's going to give us a roof. He's going to bless us with what we need because that's how God is. He's faithful. He's faithful. And I've never seen God uh, not come through. And I don't think he's going to start. But the challenge is to you and I, and that's a heart challenge. Because as soon as the call to pledge comes up, it's like, ooh, you can feel it. Oh, man, but I got this and that. And, and God is saying, let it go. You want true treasure? You want to be blessed? Uh, release. That's not putting an amount. He looked at that, that Jesus was looking at that widow who put two cents into the offering, but it was all that she had. And he says she gave more than all of these wealthy individuals because it was her heart that was giving. It was her heart that was saying, Lord, I might not have much, but it's yours because uh, you've taken care of me all these years. I might not have a husband. Uh, he might be dead, but Lord, you're my husband. You take care of me, Lord. You're the one that provides for me. You're the one that meets my needs. And as I close, I was thinking about the story came to mind. Book of Exodus, chapter 36, verse 1 through 7. We'll be quick here. It says, So Bezalel and Ohalayab, every, skill, every skilled person to whom the Lord has given skill and ability to know how to carry out all the work of construction, constructing the sanctuary are to do the work just as the Lord has commanded. They're going to build the sanctuary of God here. And Moses summoned these individuals. I'm not going to repeat their names. He says, every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability and who was willing to come and do the work, they received from Moses all the offerings that the Israelites uh, brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary's roof. It doesn't say roof. It says, and the people continued to bring free will offerings uh, morning after morning. And so all the skilled workers who were doing all the work on the sanctuary, left what they were doing, and they said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for the work that the Lord commanded to be done. And Moses gave the order, and they sent the, this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. 
And so the people were restrained. They had to be restrained from giving, from bringing more, because what they already had was more than enough to do all of the work. See, when Moses took up the pledge offering to build the sanctuary, the children of God, the Israelites, uh, they said, how can I get involved? I can work, I have skill, I have labor, but if I don't have that, I have resources that I can give. Because they remembered what it was like to be in Egypt. They remembered what it was like uh, to be a slave. They remember what it was like to be oppressed. They remember what it was like to, to not be free. And now they were free to worship God. They were in the presence of God. They had been set free. And he who the Son sets free is what? Free indeed. They were able to worship God freely. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so they remembered, I was once a slave, but now I'm free. I was once bound, but now I have been delivered and set free. I no longer have these chains on me. What can I give to the sanctuary of God? What can I give to God? And Moses said, enough, we have more than enough. Church, we've been blessed. We've been set free. We've been delivered. We have a, once a heart of stone, and the Bible says now we have a heart of flesh. Uh, you know, the things that we used to say and do, we're no longer that person. Why? Because God changed our lives. And you know where he changed our lives? As we've been faithfully serving him in the sanctuary of God. I love God. I love God. And I know this church loves God. And I'm excited to see how this church is going to be blessed because we hear the call and we're going to say, you know what, let's do it. Let's do it with our heads bowed and our eyes closed tonight in reverence to God. If you're in this place and maybe you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, You've heard of him, you've, you've heard of Jesus and all that he's done and, and, and how he uh, hung on a cross and how he died for your sins, but you never made it personal. Tonight I'm asking if you would make it personal. If you would know and understand uh, that uh, you are the reason why Jesus came. You are the reason why Jesus suffered a brutal cross. You are the reason why he came to forgive you of your sins. Make it personal tonight. He loves you. And he loves you with an everlasting love. Uh, and, and, and he so loves you so much that he was willing to give it all. He held nothing back. He was able to release everything that he had for your sake, for my sake. And tonight, uh, if you're saying, Brother Manny, I, I do want to make it personal. I do want to receive Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. I want to just see your hand lifted up so I know who I'm speaking to tonight. He didn't pull back, he didn't hold back, and he was unashamed. He was unashamed to carry his cross. He was unashamed to outstretch his arms uh, on that cross. Uh, and when he said the words, it is finished, it means he paid the price, the ultimate price for your sin and for my sin. Sin that separates us from God. Sin that separates us from a pure and holy God can only be cleansed and forgiven by the shedding of blood, and that shedding of blood was by Jesus Christ. When he rose uh, from the grave on that third day, he defeated death, he defeated sin, and he defeated all of hell so that you and I can enjoy eternity in his presence. 
But you have to receive them. You have to receive the pardon that God is, is offering you tonight, the pardon from all your sins, the forgiveness of everything wrong you've ever said, thought, or done. It's a free will choice. No one can force you. God himself can't force you to receive his son. And if that's you tonight, uh, you're saying, Brother Manny, I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. It's by the lifting of your hand so I know who I'm talking to in this place. That tugging at your heart, what you're feeling, it's, it's not me. It's not the music. Uh, it's the Spirit of God saying, you got to let it go. Don't be like that rich young ruler who couldn't, uh, who couldn't let go of what was holding him back uh, when Jesus was right there standing in front of him, loving him, compelling him. Don't be like him. Because I guarantee you, whatever you think you have to let go, whatever you think you have to sacrifice, it's nothing compared to what you're going to receive. The joy of having your sins forgiven. The joy of knowing Jesus. Again, if that's you tonight, just by the lifting of your hand. We can all stand in this place tonight. Maybe you lifted your hands. I, I, I don't know. I might not have seen it, but if you lifted your hand, and even if you didn't, you're saying, Brother Manny, I want to receive Jesus Christ tonight. I'm at a place in my life right now where I'm tired. I'm tired of the same old, same old. It's everything I've done uh, to try to fill that void has left me empty. It's left me hurt. And I want to give Jesus a chance tonight. Uh, I want to make him Lord and Savior of my life. I want to ask him to forgive me of all my sins. And if that's you tonight, uh, I'm going to ask that you would just uh, make your way out of your seat and come down to the altar. Someone here is going to pray with you. That's all they're going to do. We don't want to embarrass you. We're not trying to put you on the spot. We're just uh, extending an invitation so that you can receive the goodness of God. So that you can taste and see for yourself how good he is. We all at one point uh, have had to come to a place where we've humbled ourselves before an awesome God and ask for mercy and ask for forgiveness. And so if that's you tonight, uh, you can just make your way. The altar is open for you. Church, tonight, we're blessed, church. We truly are. And I know we're blessed, and you know we're blessed, uh, but sometimes, you know, the devil likes to lie. And he likes to say, well, let someone else this time. You've already done enough. Let someone else be blessed. No, the blessings are for you as much as they are for them. In church, there's times where we just have to just get our hearts right. We might not have a problem giving, but there might be other things. And if that's you tonight, there's just something you want to bring before the Lord. You want to just come and pour your heart out before the Lord. Well, the altar is open. The altar is open. The altar is a place of healing. The altar is a place of strengthening, and it's open tonight. You can just come and make an altar and say, you know, God, I, I thank you. I thank you for all that you've done. I thank you for healing my body. I thank you for healing my marriage. I, I thank you for blessing me with all that you have given me, God. I can never repay you, but I'm laying down my life here for you once again. Hallelujah.
myself away I give myself away so you can use me I give myself away I give myself away so great message tonight. Amen. Thank you, Brother Manny, for that word. Praise the Lord. Good, good, good. Just a good series we've been having. Amen. Best sermon ever, the Sermon on the Mount. It's just been so encouraging, uh, so such a blessing. Amen. I'm going to pick up uh, tonight's offering, and then uh, as I was uh, just uh, looking at some stuff, I came across this story. It was a story of a man by the name of R.G. Latournay. I hope I pronounced that right. Uh, he was, his, his life, he started, he was born in 1988 and passed away in 1969. Uh, this man had a seventh grade education, and after he left school, what he did is he taught himself engineering. He decided to get a career and start himself in, in engineering. But what happened was when he hit the age of 30, he found himself in debt, in serious debt. Um, some stories that I read that he was close to $100,000 in debt. And this is 1918. It's around that time. It was 30 years. Um, and, and during that time, he hit some serious debt. But also, he had a sister that was a missionary. And his sister used to always tell him, you know what? You need to get your life right with God. You need to give your life to God. And she would always constantly tell him of this. 
But the biggest fear he had, and the reason he gave that he didn't give his life to Jesus, is he thought to himself, if I give myself to the Lord and I get serious about serving God, then I'm going to have to be a preacher, I'm going to have to be an evangelist, or I'm going to have to be a missionary, and I just don't want that. But what happened was he got invited to a, a, a revival service uh, at a church. I don't know if it was a sister church or what, but he went to this revival church, a revival service at, his chur- at a church. And what it says is that God just touched him that night. God, God just touched him. He ended up giving his life to Jesus, gave his life to the Lord. And, and you know, he just was just radically changed by God. But he always had that concern in the back of his mind that I don't want to be a preacher. I don't want to be evangelist. I don't want to be a missionary. So finally, he decided he was going to talk to his pastor. Say, you know what, pastor? These are my concerns. You know, I just, you know, for whatever reason, I just don't feel that I'm called to do that. And his pastor told him, you know what? I understand, brother. Yes, we do. God does need preachers. God does need evangelists. God does need, uh, you know, missionaries. But God also needs businessmen. And he thought to himself, wow, that's a great idea. I will be a businessman for God. And understand that he started, he taught himself engineering. So what he did is he got to work and he began to just, uh, he, he, was, he had a, a mind of an inventor. He used to invent things. And what happened was that he became very successful in his, in his industry. He's, he, called, he said that he was, uh, uh, he built what they call earth movers. We, we call them now backhoes. But back in the day, they were called earth movers. And what it was is that these earth movers became so popular because what they were used for is making roads. As they would make roads to different cities, they would purchase these, uh, these uh, earth movers. And what it was is he became very successful in this. He became so successful uh, in these earth movers. It says during his lifetime, he, he had over 300 inventions. He had hundreds of patents that he had. But it says as his, he succeeded financially, he, used, he continued to increase in his giving. As God was blessing him, he would increase more in his giving. And it says that he got to the point that he was giving 90% of his income to God and living off the 10%. That he basically said, you know what? God, I'm a businessman for you. I, I committed myself for you. And he began to give 90% of his income, and he lived off the 10%. His quote was, I shoveled out the money, and God would just shovel it right back. The only problem was God had a bigger shovel. Basically, what he was saying was, you can't outgive God. As I kept giving out, God just kept giving it back and giving it back. The scripture I want to use is the same scripture Manny used tonight. It says, do not store up yourselves treasures on earth where moss or vermin destroy or where thieves break in and steal. This man could have took all the money that he had. I read some different accounts. They gave different amounts of his net worth. One said that he was worth $40 million at the time. So you can imagine that giving 90% of $40 million was $36 million. That he lived off the $4 million, but this is what he did. He just gave to God. He could have easily put all that money in the bank, but he says, don't store up your, your treasure here on earth. He says, but store up your treasures in heaven where moths or vermin do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart, there will your heart be also. This man had a heart for God. This, had, this man had a heart because he said, I'm going to be a businessman for God. And God blessed him. He was successful, and he continued to give and give and give. They, his colleagues would call him God's businessman. He started a Christian university. He, uh, he, he started the Christian businessman's uh, 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 Businessmen's Center. He also supported many ministries because he had a heart for God. Because this was his heart was. His heart was with God that he said, you know what, God? You've given me so much, I'm giving it all back. And God would still give him more and give him more. He said God had a bigger shovel wife because that's where his heart was to give to God. And God blessed his life. Tonight, his brother Manny said, where's our heart tonight? As we invest, as we give, where's our heart that we say, you know what, God?
I want to see that big shovel come right back to me. Well, it takes that step of faith of investing first and giving. Say, God, you know what? I'm going to give to you that God would give back. Tonight, we're going to pray. And before we do that, if, if you're going to give a pledge for our building, for, for the building, uh, use these envelopes. We have, don't use your tithe envelope, but use these envelopes. They have them in the back. The ushers have them. These are the, for our building. It's, it says, uh, building God's house. Amen. So if you want to make a pledge, use these envelopes. Don't use the, the tithing envelopes for those. So let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight. Father, we thank you for what you're doing in our lives, Lord. And we thank you, God, for we know that you're such a good God, Lord. And you are a God who just blesses, Lord. And tonight, as we prepare to give, Lord, I pray that we would be sensitive to you, Lord, knowing that you meet every need in our lives. Father, I pray that you would bless every gift. God, bless every giver tonight. Father, we love you and thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll be back uh, this Sunday morning, 10 a.m., 9 o'clock for prayer. Why don't you turn around, greet somebody, make some friends tonight. Have a great rest of the week. God bless you. Oh.